Welcome to Precept Responsibly, a podcast working to make precepting approachable over happy hour. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm David Hughes. Let's get into some precepting. Welcome listeners to part two of our two-part series to begin the 2023 year. We welcome back Dr. Jacinda Abdul Muta Kabir and Dr. Kevin Astle as they finish their discussion on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thanks again for joining us. And this is a reminder, if you have not yet listened to part one of this series, I highly recommend going back and listening to that first uh, session and then tuning into this session. We have a great interview lined up um, and hope you all enjoy. And this has the potential to derail us, so I'm going to try to do my best not to. But um, And this is likely like 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But how do we know as a program, as an institution, as people, that we hit our goals. How do I know when my program is diverse, when my program is equitable, and then I actually have an inclusive environment? I have some steps that I try to take, and like I'm, it's always like striving towards perfection, like humans are involved, so I don't know if we'll ever get too perfect, but like, what does, what does that mean for you guys? As I realize- When the residents of color are being dismissed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, like mm-hmm. that's a bad outcome, right? Like that, that's or the minoritized residents, so those yeah. that are, you know, like, those that are marginalized. Because look at me focusing on one, you know, marginalized group. <laughs> but when, but when we when we see those that are that are not marginalized being the ones that are dismissed, but then then you get it done. But then I think that it's also beauty in doing exit interviews. Mm. Is beauty in creating, you know, like that safe space of honesty. Mm. Is beauty in having this anonymous reporting because then that's that's an, that's a way that you can measure, you know, am I doing yeah. what it is that that you know we set out to do? When you start to see the cessation of, you know, that that reporting and all that, but then when you start to see one thing that I will say, and I, you know, I don't know the inner workings of these programs, but the University of Wisconsin, I've been watching them for a while. Because I've noticed that a lot of residents of color go in, are, are like doing residencies in admin. Mm. But I've watched how the University of Wisconsin has created this like pipeline, honestly, of minoritized admin, um, I guess, professionals. Mm. Because, you know, they go through this admin residency. And time after time, again, I've seen like, you know, these Black residents or Black and just residents of color in general go and really meant for these um, P4 students or last year students. Cause I mean, I don't know why I'm being biased to saying P4. I didn't even go to a four year school, but <laughs> you know, they have, uh, they, they mentor these students that are about to graduate and mentor them into being successful with matching into this program. Mm. That's a program though, that I would say that is really investing mm. in, in DEI. And that, I think that's just a small representation because now as you start to look at this program, they're starting to have more representative applicants. I think that Michael E. DeBecky, which is in Houston, I believe it's a VA, I want to say. They also do a really good job at creating a pipeline for minoritized trainees. So now that's, that's what you want to start seeing is now these programs are becoming representative of what it is that we see in the U.S., you know, demographics. Now we are seeing, you know, maybe we have, if we have a residency class of five, maybe two of those residents are minoritized.
Yeah. And I think kind of, I'm going to add like the cheesy part to there that uh, it's never done. So it's, you know, it's always been an evolving landscape. Uh, it's such a tough question. Cause like what does inclusion look like in five years? Right. It doesn't look the same as it does today. So just, Absolutely. you know, Jim hit the nail on the head on what kind of our gold standard is there. And I think the pro, you know, programs you mentioned does this is that continuous, you know, you can't let DEI be, you know, an endpoint. It's, it's a process and it, it continues to go. I think, um, I hear Jam. What you're saying is like you want to look for like the parity that we've been talking about in diversity um, to make sure that you have equity, right? If if you're able to show that outcome, then you have what you need. Um, but I think because we're dealing a lot with implicit biases and things that take decades to change culture, and 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 sometimes they don't change at all. Like they are implicit for a reason. They're not, they're not explicit. And if you were to take the focus off of the outcome, you may shift back unintentionally to a less diverse model. So you might meet your goal this year and maintain it for two or three years. But if you suddenly stop the process that has gotten you there, because you want to be able to say, I'm quote unquote done, you may shift back towards a less inclusive space. And so um, I, I tend to fall on your camp, Kevin, of like, it ain't ever done. You're always going to have to be looking at what are the outcomes? Am I being equitable? Do I have an inclusive space from now until the day you you know, perish from this earth and hopefully pass on great things to your kids and a great legacy? But uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate that point. Hughes. But I think like that's that's the one thing that ultimately like that constant mindset of of never being done is the one thing that's ultimately going to let let our culture to to lead away from like microaggression right in the, in this culture of right like not just of the things that aren't bluntly obvious to us. But um, I I think like over time this is like a long a long term thing that needs to be thought of in programs for for learners for for every single discipline. Um, you, you know, we talked a lot throughout this entire last hour, hour or so, um, on a lot of these concepts that may take time to mature in, in these programs, but for the preceptors listening to this podcast, to this episode of, of precept responsibly, let's say they've done, they, this is a brand new concept to them, right? Like diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is very foreign to them. What do they do? after they listen to this episode on their on their 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. ride home from work tomorrow in clinic to say, we're going to start incorporating diversity and inclusion into their teaching. What can they do today to start improving and taking the next step forward to build forward and, and ultimately grow their program? I can lead I mean, in unless you want to. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead. No, you, you, you take it away, Jane. No, no, it's okay. No, oh. I'll, I'll take the back end. All right. Um, Dave, you brought up a great point there in microaggressions. Um, and that's like first place is something like, do not do a microaggression. And I know it's a lot easier said than done, but like, think about what you say. Do not like say something that your gut says, or because it's the cultural, the, like the one that I always, that kills me is being asked like who my wife is or like where, like about my wife, like. And then it just makes it so much awkward to be like, oh, well, no, I, you know, 
is not the thing. I've got my beautiful fiance Jake over here, but um, you don't ask about my wife. Like, don't not like ask for training with their partners. That's great, but like just creating an environment, you know, to prevent microaggressions. Like, think about any kind of potential implicit bias you can have in what you say and what you do. Um, when you're evaluating trainees or you know, how trainees with you, think about how your practices, whether it's in how you're questioning or how you evaluate, how you assign patients, even, I don't know, like everything that you do, is that equitable and can I be allowing implicit bias to enter here? Jam, I agree now, it's with your, Ke- now it's your turn, Jam. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, I agree with <laughs> I agree with Kevin. I'm like, I I I'm really just in that place of education on I think that and I always tell my students is I didn't realize how much people didn't know the definition of words until I started mm. teaching. And so um, I think that it one one thing that helps is actually defining what are these words. So there are very great books. One, how to be an anti-racist. (laughs) You know, there are really good books that, and they teach you what these words are, what these things are. There are numerous publications out, not to plug, you know, my, uh, and to increase my H index, but, you know, (laughs) go take a look. (laughs) The Google Scholar. (laughs) And there are, there are, you know, definitions that are provided, you know, in these manuscripts, because people may not know what implicit bias is and how you identify Mm. that. But at the end of the day, we're all raised in different households. We all raised with different ideals. So, I mean, racism can can just exist, you know, for any and everyone. You know, our ideas can be shifted or we can have just these, these views that may not be entirely true about folks. But like I said, that implicit bias is really not anything that we control. But that explicit bias, meaning how it is that we treat others who can't. So we have to be able to identify these thoughts that we're ha- having may not necessarily be true or indicative of um, this representation of these individuals, but I have to make sure that I check those thoughts or I go back and I rethink like, wait, was that me actually having an actual view of the situation or is this my bias peeking through? And then looking back at how it is that things are handled or like Kevin said, think before you say things to make sure, you know, is this creating some type of bias towards this person? That's the easiest thing that we can do in terms of DEI is thinking about how is it that I'm being, how is it that I am portraying myself or also receiving how it is that someone is stating that they've experienced maybe a racist act or something that was wrong that can then equate to a microaggression or something that is said that we not, that is not outright, you know, I'm better than you because Mm -hmm. you're black and I'm white, you know, that's not outright, but, you know, telling someone that, oh, you know, you don't speak like you're black, that's microaggressive. Yeah. Because now what you're saying, or saying, you know, oh, you know, she's so, this black scientist, she was so bright, and, you know, so on and so forth, because now you're attaching, you're attaching this to you not necessarily believing Mm. that these individuals are those that are inherently, you know, intelligent. These are individuals, or you're, you're, you're then attaching like for the, you know, you don't speak as though, you know, you're a black one. It's attaching the fact that maybe we don't think that individuals from minoritized backgrounds can speak in a way in yeah. which, you know, is void of maybe slang or so on, you know, or things of that matter. So we Absolutely. have to acknowledge that, you know, that's a bias and that's a bias that we've now allowed to leak through and create some type of traumatic setting for someone else because we didn't necessarily check what it is that we said before we said it. 
So we just have to, we have to be more cognizant of these things, but also do the work at defining what it is that these different actions can look like. I mean, I think that, I think you guys have, I think you guys brought up, brought up great points. I, I think there's a lot of like things we can continue to do. And, you know, I, I really, you know, it's, it's true, Jam, like exactly what you said, like, why do you need to associate a color in an example? Why do you need to say a, a black scientist said this? You don't, you know, you don't hear people saying, oh, this white scientist said this, right? It's yeah. these, these implicit biases. And, and I think like over time that that's what we need to get to a culture where, you know, those microaggressions ultimately disappear. Um, but, but again, I, I think it's. Yeah. And creating that awareness, like being aware that they do exist, but being able to check ourselves mm. and say, you know what, uh, that's a bias, that's the wrong way of thinking of that. Maybe, I, you know, I'm misjudging this. Let me be, you know, slow to slow to act, quicker to listen, you know, in this particular circumstance and things like that. The best way to support a trainee is to get them to know them as a person. Use those... Uh, you know, use those uh, open-ended questions to do that. And I think um, what might be some like specific ways to like just upfront minimize that like assumption that you're going to make about people. Uh, Kevin, do you have any like good examples um, or jam? I think a really good one here is um <clears throat> you're trying to connect with people like I said, as individuals and respect their identity and who they are. Um, uh, one easy way to do this is to, you know, when you're introducing yourself to somebody, introduce yourself, how you want to be, you know, pronounced as someone with the last name, like Astle, I've been called every variation of <laughs> imaginable <laughs> and all types of settings. Like, um, that's like a very basic, like I'm break sorry. the ice setting there. So just like introduce, you know, and that's an easy way to be like it's astle and like the t's there yeah get that away but then like share your pronoun like i'm comfortable using he or they pronouns for example like if you're going to call me they like, i'm not going to be offended by that um but then you sharing that and inviting trainees to share you know how do you pronounce your name like it is so incredible it's a huge microaggression to turn to you know anyone with a unique name and be like oh i'm not going to pronounce this or i'm going to butcher this like well, any name can be butchered. Um, so, yeah. you know, just asking people, like, here's how I pronounce my name. How do you pronounce yours? Um, is there a way, you know, do you have any abbreviation like to go by? Like, you know, Jam's always mm -hmm. up front with, you know, here's my full name. I go by Jam. And just, you know, sharing that and inviting that from learners, um, same with pronouns, you know, and you know, sharing what your pronouns are, but then inviting that from trainees. Don't put them on the spot and, like, say you gotta tell me what your pronouns are but yeah and you know creating that environment where it's safe to share but then also inviting um from others yeah i think the other piece here that i typically think of is like just make it like something you do for everyone like right it don't like don't don't make an assumption like oh someone walked in like they have an atypical haircut quote unquote like i'm gonna now assume that like they may have different pronouns like like maybe you should just ask everyone or start by introducing yourself with your full name, how you say it, 
tell them you really think it's important that names are pronounced correctly and then share your pronouns like it's just part of like the introduction process and if you make it natural then it it is kind of more natural all right um I, I think we, you know, there's, there's a lot preceptors can do overall to, to really incorporate, you know, a lot of the things Kevin, Jam, Jason um, just mentioned into their practice. You know, I, I think it's time, um, but it's never going to, it's never going to be better until, until we ultimately start. Um, and, and as we, as we uh, wrap today's episode, I want to give um, Kevin and Jam both a minute to, to kind of give any, any last minute thoughts um, or any any other pieces of tidbits you can share for our for our listeners today. I guess for my end, I would one want to thank you, thank you both for having myself um, and then Kevin. It really meant a lot for me to be able to you know sit here and talk to you all, and I've and I've learned a lot. I know that I precept in a different way, but I really rely a lot on um, definitely Jason from the perspective of being a program director. And just how it is that you navigate that dynamic. Because I, I often have students confide in me and I want to be a safe space, but I don't necessarily know what that looks like from like a program director, PGY1 program director standpoint. So I really, I really appreciated guidance on that and the opportunity to discuss it uh, with you all here in this open forum and in a, what I would consider also a safe space. But um, I think that, the biggest thing that I would say is we have to prioritize just the importance of inclusion um, and equity and diversity. But I really think that inclusion, you know, is is really that it's a big eye to me mm. because it really encompasses everything. And I think that we really need to prioritize that. And um, I think if I if I depart with anything, it would be let's be slower to to speak, slower to judge quicker to listen, quicker mm. to be empathetic, quicker to try to understand other folks' experience. I think the one thing it is that we can provide to other folks is um, that opportunity to create an inclusive and supportive environment for them. Thanks for sharing. Um, great, great points, Jim. Um, and Kevin? Yeah, <clears throat> Jim, I want to like write that on my whiteboard that I look at <laughs> every day at work. Like that's <laughs> so good and so meaningful um and i just do want to say first i appreciate y'all you know inviting me here i think um my preceptor hat is one that i really enjoy um it's probably the one that i forget about the most between like educator pharmacist researcher um i would say you know for my parting words is just when you're approaching dei in your program don't just get caught um, you know, at the first step, like allow yourself to dive into this process, allow yourself to look into a lot of what we focus on is intersectionality and these multiple marginalized groups. And you know, really focus on how you can be an inclusive um, and affirming environment for all individuals um, from all walks of life. Um, you know, everyone is their own individual person and everyone has their own background and their own lived experience. And do what you can to support that and affirm that. That's such such great advice. Power powerful world words. Jeez, I can't even talk. Um, I uh, I personally want to want to thank both of you, um, Jam, 
Kevin, um, on behalf of Jason, I, I I've personally looked looked up to to both of you quite a bit on uh, starting from Twitter and um, knowing you guys, knowing you both. Um, I, I just think like I've I've learned a lot um, over the past years, and and I really wholeheartedly appreciate everything you both do. Um, so thank you, and and thank you for for being a a, a great 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 speakers for our listeners. Um, if our listeners do have additional questions for you both, um, what is the best way to connect with you all? Is it is it email, um, Twitter, LinkedIn? Well, since my email is changing, let's <laughs> um, let's say Twitter is the best way. You can find me at JCDesID, where I talk, you know, things ID, equity, and Beyonce. So mm. feel free to find me there. <laughs> you are the queen of pharmacy. <laughs> as long as I can use Beyonce means, I'll take it. <laughs> yes. Yes. When, when is the tour coming? We need the I know, tour. right? I'm <laughs> <serious>. <laughs> uh, um, and Twitter is probably the best place to find me as well. It's at kastel1. Um, if you like email, that works as well. It's askletusf.edu. Nice and easy. Um, or LinkedIn. You can also follow Precept Responsibly there. Uh, but yeah, I'm on Yes. <laughs> Precept Responsibly LinkedIn, baby. No. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn for the win. Oh, no. Well, yeah, okay. Um, You're not going to you plug both. Twitter right now. <laughs> <laughs> i know uh well thank you both for for joining us uh, i you know agree wholeheartedly with everything dave said like you guys have been an inspiration for me i have loved working with you on farm grad wish list if our listeners want to engage in some of the advocacy work of both uh dr yasind abdul mujikabir and dr kevin astle uh check out farm grad wish list uh they're on a variety of different social media platforms uh supporting diversity equity inclusion and uh rx share um is another great advocacy platform uh across i know you guys are on twitter are you on other platforms as well we just jumped on mastodon um not active yet yeah. but we will yeah, there you go. We're gonna be tooting. I still don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna toot our way to the next, the next, uh, next generation. Yeah, we are. Um, but go ahead and follow us on Twitter. That's where we're most active right now. Um, we have a webinar that will be coming out probably right on the same time as this podcast. Um, so give us a follow, send us a DM. We'll get you the link for that sent out. But awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys in an abnormal fashion. We are going to skip the standard question because we have had uh, a phenomenally in-depth conversation. Um, and we want to make sure that, that our listeners get every aspect of it uh, and, and we don't have to cut anything. So uh, thank you again uh, for joining us. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We thank you for listening. Uh, I just want to remind people if you have an idea for an episode or you want to drop an audio comment or question, uh, you know, record yourself 30 seconds uh, on your phone, send it to us uh, at preceptresponsibly at gmail.com. We also are on social media, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Find all of our episodes on your favorite podcast providers. We also have these as videos on YouTube. Today's episode was produced by Spencer Sutton. Music by Alex Grohl. That's it for Precept Responsibly. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm Dave Hughes. Until next time, thanks all for listening.
replace him as wine. It's pretty. It's pretty make fun of him for that. No, you do too. Because it's always white wine or red wine. Wait, wait, wait! Time out, Jim. I have a very serious question. Do you put ice in your red wine? Yes. Oh my god! (laughs) I'm gonna die over here. That is on. That is on record, and I want everyone to know that that is on record. It was recorded. There is somebody else in the. I put ice in all wines. First off, yeah. it's taken me a lot to I like knew. wine, but I was like, I have to be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> the list of reasons why I, I love jam just continues to go on and on. And that just was another solid reason. Oh, that's funny. Validation. <laughs>